You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along to the programme, the email address is corktoday at c103.ie. I don't know how long the government have been talking about this, but they have finally signed off on plans to reduce the welfare rate and the accommodation rights for people who are fleeing Ukraine and coming here for refuge. The changes are going to go before the cabinet for approval today and as has been speculated and spoken about for many months at this stage they're going to limit the accommodation so it's uh, just for the new arrivers when people arrive from Ukraine looking for uh, refuge they will only be given accommodation for 90 days and then the while in that state support supported housing they'll get a weekly payment of 38 euro and 50 that's the same amount that's given to asylum seekers international uh, protection uh, applicants so 38 20 a week at the moment uh, Ukrainians, uh, regardless of what accommodation that they are living in, get €220 Euro in job seekers' um, uh, allowance. However, once the three months, the 90 days are up and the Ukrainians are going to be told they need to leave the uh, accommodation, then they'll able be able to claim the full rate, rate of job seekers' benefit, unless, of course, they are working. Now, the Irish Red Cross, not happy about this. They're expressing concern about the uh, decision and also particularly around limiting the state accommodation to just three months. The charity is warning that forcing Ukrainians into the private accommodation sector, it's only going to just put huge increased pressure on whatever already is a crisis within our rental sector. And they say increasing that then they're fearful will lead to increased social tensions and resentments towards migrant groups. Now, it was earlier yesterday, the Taoiseach Lee of Radker had said, that no decisions have been made on cutting supports and that any supports offered to Ukrainian refugees arriving here would match what other European countries offer. And that's what we've been talking about, I think, since this whole uh, war started with the invasion by Russia and the Ukrainians when they started to arrive here. Within months, it became very clear that we had a very generous our social welfare system is seen as very generous. Now, people who are living on social welfare will say it isn't if you're trying to if you're trying to live with the cost of living in this country. But when you compare it to what Ukrainian refugees were getting across Europe, we were by far at the top of the pile. We gave the most in financial uh, support. Now, Leo said in most cases in Western Europe, people are, are offered accommodation, but they're not offered accommodation indefinitely. And that's what we've been doing here. And he said, if you are being provided with accommodation that includes full food, board, lodging, heat and uh, light then certainly in other countries you don't get the full social welfare payment. Leo Radker said yesterday that the Cabinet had to think of the knock-on effects of any change, particularly given the housing shortage we have in this country. Now, as I say, at the moment, Ukrainian refugees, they get €220 a week in job seekers' uh, allowance. And of course, they are immediately allowed to look for work. And obviously, once they get work, the same with any Irish person getting job seekers' allowance, they would give up the job seekers' allowance once they are working. Now, the Irish Red Cross issued a statement yesterday and they say that few Ukrainians here have sufficient economic means to enter the rental market independently. They pointed out that HAP will not be available to them. Now, they will be entitled to the rent allowance scheme, but they say that can be very complex to navigate. The Red Cross also expressed concern that a significant number of Ukrainian refugees that have arrived in this country, they're women and they're women 
travelling with children and therefore when they're caring for their children they have they're limited to the type of employment they can seek and how much work they can actually uh, do. And of course, if they can only say do a part-time job, they're not going to get enough money to pay the rent that would be needed in the private rental sector in this country. The Red Cross say the proposal does not provide a viable route to accommodation for temporary protection beneficiaries. They say this is contrary to Ireland's commitment to and our obligations under the EU-wide temporary protection Directive. The Red Cross says it's clear that the proposed measures is not intended to manage the accommodation in Christ in, in Ireland, but instead the proposal is to send a message to act as a deterrent to others thinking of travelling to Ireland. They say such a, an approach is a sledgehammer and they feel that other solutions should be found. They say the proposal should not be a solution to the different supports around the EU. They say that the Irish government and their EU counterparts should all be working at an admin level to harmonise the supports provided. And I think that's a really good suggestion from the Red Cross. If all of the EU countries could get together and come up with a harmonised uh, support that then would stop some of the refugees looking at countries like Ireland and thinking, oh, they financially, that's probably the best place uh, to go. And we're known as a kind, caring uh, nation. So people are thinking if you're travelling and you're fleeing a war situation and you're looking across Europe, you are, of course, and particularly if you're a mother with young children, you want to make sure that you land in a country where you're going to be well looked uh, after. Whereas if every country was giving the same amount and we harmonise the support then that would would take that uh, away. They say the government have achieved significant success in meeting the needs of several thousand Ukrainians, but they say, this is the Red Cross, more is needed, they say, particularly in exploring forms of accommodation. Now, they went on in the statement uh, to say that there are extremely high vacancy rates in office buildings around the country, and they say that many of these office buildings should be explored and that they reckon that there are other buildings that they could use to hire house the Ukrainian uh, refugees. They say sudden cuts in support by government to a vulnerable group they feel is going to have a negative implication. They say it's critical that any changes in supports is implemented in a phased manner taking account of the adjustments required by the beneficiary. Well, what's, well, what they're looking at happening, and as I say, the cabinet are going to sign off on it uh, today, it will be for all of the new Ukrainian refugees that are coming into this country, the Ukrainian refugees that are already here, they will stay on the same supports and they will stay in the same housing that they have been allocated. But it is the new refugees coming in. It'll be limited to 90 days and the money will be down to 3880 uh, per uh, week. Leo Varadkar speaking yesterday said he's proud of, what, uh, of the fact that this country has well welcomed approximately 100,000 people fleeing the war in Ukraine. He said the issue that the country now faces uh, was not about being able to afford the payment, but rather about a deficit in accommodation. And he said all applicants coming from Ukraine are fully vetted. Leo Radker said people fleeing to Ireland are suffering in a way we almost cannot imagine. And he said other countries, tough 
talk has not reduced refugee numbers. He says he's seen other governments across uh, the world talk about migration, talk about building walls and fences and putting children into cages. But he said none of that tough talk has stopped the numbers uh, coming. If people want to flee their country, they will um, uh, flee. But it's, I think, our big problem, and I think the Red Cross uh, is right. If we are going to limit the refugees that arrive to 90 days, what then happens at the end of the 90 days? Do they just join the queue of Irish people who are desperately trying to find accommodation. We're, 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 we're about 12,500, is that the, the latest figure on people living in homeless accommodation and they are uh, in the main Irish people. Are we just going to add that to the list of people in homeless uh, accommodation? I know something has to be done uh, because there is this anecdotal notion that people are moving from other countries, from safe countries and they're coming here because they see us as, as a very generous social welfare ski system when we pay 220. So I can understand the limiting of the payments, but I just don't know about the 90 days and what kind of problems is that going to lead into the future. Now, according to a major new study, children's anxiety about tests increases as they progress through primary school, with the Children's School Lives sixth report finding that by fourth class, children have started to report higher levels of test anxiety. Jennifer Horgan is a teacher and also an Irish examiner columnist and uh, Jennifer joins me this morning. Good morning to Jennifer. Morning Patricia, how are you? I'm very well and you're welcome to the programme. Were you surprised to hear that primary school children are getting anxious and stressed about tests? I wasn't, to be honest, I suppose. Yeah, I I think... um, I think we have a lot of work to do in terms of how we talk about assessment, um, particularly beyond the school. You know, I think um, children are very good at picking up on adult anxiety. And I think for the most part, that's what's happening here. Um, The report showed that parents are more and more involved in education. And I think obviously there are huge benefits to that. And it's always for the best when schools and parents are working together. But I think the flip side maybe is that there's pressure coming um, from parents um, and potentially also maybe from some schools and the, and the young people are, are, are feeling it. But assessment, I mean, it is an important part of the school experience, isn't it? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's vital. We need it. And particularly when we have, you know, very packed classrooms, teachers can have 30 students in in, in a classroom in primary. So we need these assessments and we need to just check in. And it's really important for us as teachers. That's what I would say. And we can't get rid of them. And there's also no issue with the child feeling a little bit of stress and anxiety. I mean, that's that's normal and that's healthy. So we want that to continue. But it's how we're talking about them. Um an assessment, it's, it's, it's important, but it is a part. It is only a part of education. And it is mostly for teachers to know what they need to do next, particularly at that young age. You know what I mean? We're not looking at, they're not choosing their career at this stage. Yeah. So at that age, it's just, it's just about the teacher knowing, well, next year I know we've got a weakness here with this group in this certain area. I'm going to focus on that. I'm going to, you know, so it's just informing us, helping us to do our jobs, but it certainly shouldn't be passed down to the to the children, you know, I, I mean, parents are informed of the mar- of the results now, um, but I don't think there's a necessity for the parents to even share those results with the children. You know, I, yeah. I mean, so, it, so the, it's the, it, and I suppose as like all of us as parents, we want our children uh, to do well. We love the idea that they're all doing so well and they're they're top of the class. But as parents, we need to be careful 
about though, and it's the standardized test we're talking about, isn't it? The the Chondra tests. Absolutely. You know, um, we just need to be careful. We need to make sure that we're, that our praise is sort of general, you know, that it's not just about these. I mean, they're such a snapshot report. Um, they're, they're really not indicative of the broader educational experience. They're just testing, you know, things like, um, you know, vocabulary, um, there's the maths and then there's um, sort of reading. It doesn't look at writing, for instance, you know, it's so there's like there's so much not being tested. These are very much just a snapshot. If the if the school is concerned about a child, if there's a discrepancy, let's say, between what they get in these scores and how they're doing in class, then that's great to identify. Um, and it's a conversation. And then maybe the child might need some supports or whatever it is. But generally, these are really just you know, they're just for, for educators to kind of help them in their jobs. Yeah, and, and they mention in the report that it could be what they call a, a backwash uh, from the Leaving Cert points race. Now, this is something I feel quite strongly about. Do we give too much mm. coverage to the Leaving Cert every year and particularly the students who get like the, the 8As or the 9As? Oh, yeah. Patricia, I feel very strongly about it as well. I'm a secondary school teacher and I, I absolutely hate it. I think it's a awful um and you know i think we're starting to change you're seeing now newspapers are are giving some time to students who maybe got lower grades but did a great job to get there and we're starting to see now more discussions about other options beyond university you know that there are actually um wonderful lives that people can have um by by going through further education you know like our conversation is shifting slowly but we're only at the start of i think a cultural change we need to keep that up and it's awful to think. And I, I was actually talking to my son yesterday. So he's just started secondary and he was saying absolutely in primary as he was getting into his later years, he was already starting to worry about secondary and the exams oh. and the leaving cert. Like, because he's hearing it on the radio, he's, yeah. you know, it's, it's everywhere. It, yeah, yeah, it's all, it's, it, it's all over the papers. And I saw it was Hayes recruitment, uh, saying you don't, you don't need, um, a degree anymore. There's so much jobs out there. And we know there's this big push to try to get people, more young people into doing apprenticeships because there's great trades yeah. and great job Absolutely. prospects. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think just being more sort of, um, aware and like appreciative of different intelligences, you know, and recognising the strengths that people have and not valuing a sort of, you know, so-called academic ability over everything else, because actually that's not, like, it's not what we need as a society. It's wonderful if you can write an amazing essay on Yates, you know, well done. Like that's, I'm not taking from it. I'm an English teacher myself. It's brilliant. But God, it's a very small part of <laughs> intelligence and ability. Yeah, yeah. And here's here's one, I suppose, this goes back to the pressure uh, parents put on children. Lucy said, she remembers from her school days, uh, every Friday they had a spelling uh, test. When she would come home, her dad would always ask, which ones did you get wrong? He would never focus on the mm. nine out of ten she got right. So that, yeah, yeah, I've heard similar stories. Yeah, and, that, and that's, that's much all, more about the dad, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, instead of and it, it, but isn't it funny that as as an adult that's stuck in Lucy's mind? That's her memories of school day and tests. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, what we should want is for children just to see it as another part of their day. It's a little bit, a little bit of excitement, even you know, something a little bit. Oh, we get to do something different today. But that's it. It's you know. Um, so I think yeah, we just have a lot of work to do as as adults to to watch how we're presenting. Yeah, tests. and then also go back to the report. Children say that the more they progress through primary school, the more repetitive the curriculum 
becomes. Now, that's why I, I, mm. I always think these studies are, are important. We can learn from mm-hmm. these and, and the, the, the education boards can learn from these as to what changes need to be done. Yeah. And unfortunately, change is slow again in this in this area. But uh, yeah, I absolutely feel that teachers are under a lot of pressure to get stuff covered rather than actually um, they don't have the time to, to go for that kind of child centred approach all the time. And that gets that gets more intense as they go up through the system. My my youngest is in third class this year and I can see it in her. You know, she's kind of like, oh, we're, we're writing all the time now. You know, where's yeah. all the where's all the fun gone? Um, so I think students absolutely feel that. And I think it's imperative for individual teachers to buck against that a little bit, you know, yeah. just just. Yeah. OK, and just, fi- just <laughs> we have fi- to keep the balance. Finally, Marion has three children in uh, primary school. She said, does this report cover homework? It is the biggest cause of stress in her home. Yes, it does. The report does look at it and it notice it notes that um, parents are reasonably happy with the homework in the very younger years. So let's say in junior, senior infants, first class, but they see homework as being more and more negative as students go up through primary school. And I would absolutely echo that as well. I think that homework um, in the later years in primary really are unnecessary. They're, they're just, they, they, they create a negative attitude towards school. They put parents under pressure. So many parents now, we've both parents working. Um, they become competitive. Uh, I think parents, unfortunately, can kind of become a bit competitive about the homework. Uh, and there's no kind of research to back up the need for it. So I think I've no issue with kind of tailored interventions for individual children if they need it, you know, if they need extra supports after school. But I think what is it, seven hours, whatever, that primary school kids are in school, that's enough. You know, they should be. Yeah. And then, you know, I I would know from friends of mine who got kids in primary school, they've got all the extra curricular activity and the sports that they're involved with. Bankers. Yeah. And they're dropping one to the other and collecting the other. And then when you all get home, it's facing into these what can be for some children hours because some some children are very quick at getting their homework done but that's not the case with all children that's another thing isn't it like it's not we give blanket homework but one child is spending an hour the other child is spending 10 minutes and there's no learning going on like that's they're not enjoying it as they're squeezing it in at the end of the day after all as you say all their activities so we you know again what we want is to kind of protect their interest in school, their love of learning, their lifelong learning um, and give them that space after school just to be themselves. And I often think like a lot of their hobbies that they'll do after school, they could very well end up being, their you career. know, that could be the direction yeah, they go in. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I had that experience, you know, so. 100%. Listen, pleasure talking to you, Jennifer. Thank you for that. Thank thanks, you, Patricia. Thanks for joining us. Good morning to you. Take that care. is uh, Jen Hogan, who is a teacher herself, but she's a, an Irish examiner uh, columnist on that major study that came out uh, yesterday. We need to ease off a little bit on the primary school uh, children because it's just to think fourth class children suffering from exam stress and anxiety. is just, it's not good enough. Something needs to change. Now, according to a young chef who has a deep understanding and a very keen interest of Ireland's food history, more and more households are reverting to nostalgic food, especially during this very cold weather. Rowan Byrne is a chef and co-founder of Danu. And uh, did I just say Rowan joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Rowan. Hello, how are you? I'm very well and you're welcome to the programme. You've seen a trend with batch cooking and one pot meals. Has any of this got to do with our cost of living crisis, do you think? Yeah, I think massively. It's um, it's so, so influential because I think with batch cooking and the cost of living, they're so connected. 
in that um, people with the cost of living and food being inflated so much have to be so much more thought conscious about their meals and what they're doing. So I think the move to batch cooking in terms of like economically, you're only using one appliance a lot of the time and it saves a lot of time, food waste, things like that. So batch cooking, you you decide, say, on if you were working Monday to Friday, a Saturday or a Sunday, you'd do what? You'd, you'd try and do as much cooking as you could, get as much into the oven as you could on a Saturday or a Sunday? Yes. Yeah. So um, like with batch cooking, you do things like um, sometimes on a Sunday we'll cook like four different dinners. So might do a bolognese, like a chili con carne, shepherd's pie, and then get them all into the oven. It's about two hours of cooking. You use overall probably the same amount of appliances as two meals doing four and then put them in the freezer and have them throughout the week. And uh, uh, is there a trend of us returning to dinners that our mothers and grandmothers made? Yeah, I think that's huge. So I did my master's dissertation this year on the food of the home. So I want to look at the history of women and what they were cooking in their homes between 1950 and 2000 in Dublin City. So I think like reconnecting to the past obviously gives massive feelings of nostalgia, but it's also just such a feeling of connection. So I think in any times like COVID or like now where there's different things like inflation and things going on in the world, it's massive to be able to just reconnect to the past and have that kind of a very uh, comforting feeling. And obviously then when we look at older recipes, we can connect to past generations, older family. There's a lot of like food education in it and like a lot of obviously rediscovering lost techniques. Yeah. And the one thing about, you know, past generations, you know, people in, in the 50s uh, and 60s, mm. they, they didn't have a lot of money. Many of them had very mm. large uh, families. They yeah. knew how to make the food stretch, didn't they? Yeah, massively. So one of the uh, lovely women that I interviewed for my thesis, she was part of a family of nine and she told these amazing stories about her mother cooking and they had to, some of the kids would sit on the stairs because there wasn't enough seats around the table and these just like amazing stories and I was so interested in it because there's a lot of academia and stuff on chefs and the history of restaurants but I was like amazed by how women were able to keep on such a small budget, a family going of like nine to ten children on average. Um, <clears throat> so I think like different techniques that they had. And when you think of the resources, like it would have been a lot of a time before fridges and freezers and microwaves and a lot of convenience foods we have now. And is it fair to say they served up nutritional meals? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think mainly as well, that was a lot of kind of only what was on offer. So we wouldn't have had the rise in different options for takeaways and fast food and things like that. So it was nutritional, like pure food on offer. And I think that's why a lot of people can think that Irish food is, you know, it might be bland or it's just kind of potatoes and and meat and two veg. But nutritionally, like at its core, that is um, a good spread, especially if that's your options. And of course, previous generations, uh, Rowan, they never wasted food. Yes, yes, massive. So I think you can see that a lot with the one pot meals. So even things like coddle or um, that they, you can use a lot of the veg that might be about to go. You can use such a versatile range of veg and it means that you're just not, there's more techniques. So like using bones from um, previous dinners and different offcuts of veg, you can make a stock 
turn it into a gravy, things like that. So it's just very, very economical and being like food smart. Yeah, a listener saying my grandmother never wasted anything, any bread that was starting to go stale. She made the most delicious bread and butter pudding. Uh, I can close my eyes and still remember the taste of it. Recipes like that are just incredible. Like they're, I think they're definitely coming back, and it, we'll see a bit more of it. But it's just so, um, it's such lovely stories to hear. Yeah, and and you talk about pickling and preserving. As is that becoming a thing, a thing again? And that was something the future gen- previous generations did. Yeah, I think so. And I've kind of seen it sweep in more so from America, but definitely coming to here where we're going back to the ideas of like understanding what we can do with foods and how we can make it last and there's different things from food storage to pickling that um are such small techniques Doreen Allen speaks really well about them but they have such a big impact especially depending on like your family size and things like that so in terms of even time saving um a really clever one is pickles so a pickle is just um one part vinegar one part water one part sugar and then you can pretty much preserve any like uh, vegetable so like red onions, you can put them in a pickle, you just boil it up, can it, and then you have it for three to four weeks minimum and um, amazing on sandwiches, sourdough bread, things like that. So they would have been very, very popular, um, particularly in the last century. And I think that's resurging now. And again, that was because, as you say, they didn't have fridges and freezers. Yeah, exactly. So one of the biggest things I found in the research was women on average shopped every day so obviously we're not having a fridge. They went to the butchers every day and green grocers and things like that. And then as we move towards those technologies, uh, we also move towards supermarkets. So kind of an all in one, one week big shop as opposed to the everyday one. Yeah. And Noreen says, I still have a recipe of an old stew that my mother used to to make. She got it from her mother. So it's my grandmother's uh, recipe. I now use the slow cooker uh, to cook that meal. And it still brings me back to my childhood. I love that. Yeah, definitely. The One of the things I wanted to do was um, look at creating a digital archive. So um, I lost my granny back in March and ah. there were so many people that I connected with that like connected with their granny through their own recipes. So I thought a way of a lot of particularly one of the things is women during that time might not have worked. So I looked at recipes as kind of a form of like currency. It was kind of like a, a knowledge base that they would have passed down as opposed to money or things like that. So I found that really interesting. It was almost like a, a gift passed down through generations. And I feel like if that could be preserved in some kind of way, it's, very interesting. Yeah, and the other point is, of course, if we if we could go back to more of the basic uh, meals like that, what you're talking about, the recipes you're talking about, it would help with our obesity crisis, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think so. Um, and I think just in general, people being um, more engaged with their food and getting the chance to understand it, I think that's a big part of it. Um, we're, we're so disconnected from our food and I, I don't think that's generally the public's fault at all I think it's just kind of the ways of working and things but if there's little ways that we can reconnect with it and things like being able to cook with your kids and that that can definitely help massively Okay listen thank you for that I really enjoyed our, our chat and thanks for joining us on the programme this morning
Thank you so much. Good morning to you. Bye bye. That is uh, Roanne uh, Byrne, who is a chef and co-founder of Danu. We were talking about nostalgic food and how because of the cost of living, more and more people are reverting back to recipes that are pair, our mothers and grandmothers and fathers. Some fathers were good cooks as well, but many of the mammies and the grandmothers and reverting back to those nutritious meals and they're really, if you get any kind of a cold spell, there's nothing like, you know, a really hearty stew all in one pot or maybe gorgeous uh, homemade uh, soup. Talking of soup, Eleanor has contacted us. It's reminded her of uh, something in her childhood to do with soup. Uh, Eleanor's in Carrigaline. Uh, good morning to you, Eleanor. Good morning, Patricia. You, How are you? I'm very well, thank you. You were listening to Rowan talking about me- was, meals from our childhood. Yeah, it brought back nostalgic memories for myself personally because I was one of 15 who, two of whom passed away when they were children. But when we were going to school, and I talk about myself now being one of the older ones in the family, and there was nearly a baby every year, year and a half. Yeah. And when we were going to school, we'd have to walk about three miles to school. And we'd make our emergency exit out of the school at two o'clock or whatever time it was finished. And we'd run home because if you got in late, mum would have the soup or whatever might be going with it, a bit of bread or whatever. And if you got in late, there was nothing left for you. <laughs> so it equally encouraged you to make your way home as fast as you can. And, like, there was no dilly-dallying, et cetera, et cetera. But, I mean, the meads that used to be cooked as well, like, I mean, the children of today don't know what the situation was like because the mother would go to the butchers and she'd get the marrow bones and boil them in the pot. Yeah. And, like, we were lucky enough to have a small garden uh, patch for vegetables and stuff like that, and we could go out and pick the the carrots, parsnips, the onions, etc., etc., and like could do the cooking, you know. Regardless, we wouldn't have even to go to the supermarket, but there weren't too many supermarkets at that time either, you know. But it's just reminiscing. Yeah, but it was all loved. yeah, it was good wholesome food, and and your mother had uh, got be good to her had no choice but had to make a budget stretch exactly, particularly exactly. with that with that many children. Yes, exactly. And I mean, in those times, there were no contraceptives. So I mean, <laughs> you had you had as many as, as as what you know came along in your lifetime, as we say. As many and as many as God gave you was what they as believed. As many as God yeah. gave, yeah, exactly. And like, you just had to deal with it, whether you know whether the, the situation was able to progress. I mean, they managed, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. And it actually taught me a great lesson in my life because I'm in my late 60s now at the moment and I lost my mother in September. Oh, only, w- only, only this September? Only this September. Ah, bless. She was 92 years old. But apart from that, I... My husband was killed on the road when I was 39. Wow. And her lessons to me have taught me an awful lot in life that you appreciate what you have and what you can do. And, you know, when needs call, there are ways and means of doing things. And when you were talking particularly about the batch cooking, I really laughed. And that was the reason why I contacted you. 
and you were talking about freezing it. When mum went batch cooking, it was just for one day and that was it, you know. <laughs> well, with thir- 13 children, but she had 15 pregnancies. And what and what age were the, the, the two? Were they smallies when they passed away? Uh, I think one was only newborn and the other one, I think, was about six or eight weeks old. Caught death, probably. Probably, yes. And that, uh, and that we, poor woman just had to get on with it. Had to get on with it. But I mean, it was just not her. It was an awful lot of people in the older days, Patricia. Yeah. You know, they just, as I said, there was no contraceptive pill and stuff like that. But I mean, whether you had 10 or whether you had 20, it was still a very good way. And as you say, we got an awful lot of nourishment from what we got. I mean, whereas today they're opening the fridge and the freezer and they're looking for pizzas and they're looking for all these sort of things like. And they're all processed stuff like. You know, would it, would any would any of you have been fussy eaters? Would any of you have said, "I'm oh, mum, I do want to eat that? If, if Patricia, you didn't say a thing because if you didn't eat it, you didn't get anything else. Yeah. There was nothing else available. Yeah, yeah. You either got what was in front of you. It was the same with porridge. I mean, the children today don't know what porridge is. You know, we, there was a big pot saucepan of porridge cooked in the morning. And you sat down, you ate it before you go to school. So that stood you in good steadfast for the day. And as I say, then when school is over, half two, three o'clock, you came home and you, you ran. Big, you ran. <laughs> you ran and you had a big bowl of soup and bread. Yeah. And maybe sometimes you might have had the soup because if, if, if economics uh, didn't work out, you might have just had maybe bread and if you were lucky, a, a bit of butter or margarine or whatever. And was your mother, with all those kids, was she a stay-at-home mother? Oh, God, yes. Yeah, she w- and, and and your dad went out and provided. When my father went to England at certain times in my life, I was actually born when he was in England because an awful lot of people had to travel at that stage as well on account of unemployment and no yeah. work in Ireland. Yeah. And, like, when I came along, there was four already before me. Oh, sorry, I was the fourth. Um, so, I mean, even at that stage, so you can imagine when it multiplied to more, it was much harder to provide for them. And as I say, we were in the lucky position that we had a garden that we could grow, grow the your veg. So, so you, that, you, like, your, your dad went to England and then sent home the money? Was that was that sent home the money, money and yeah. he came back every so often. And, On um, the boat? On the boat, no or play, whatever, yeah, yeah, no planes. Yeah. They weren't. They couldn't afford even if there, there was no, planes. No, they, could, no. they, they couldn't afford. And, and I'd say, I'd say, if he could have ceramics, he probably would have <laughs> cost him less. <laughs> and then he was busy when he was home. Hence the fifteen children. But anyway, exactly. uh, <laughs> but 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 your own story, losing your husband at thirty nine, and and did you have, did, did you have children? I Eleanor? had three young children. Yes, oh, I it? had a daughter just starting college. And two boys aged 13 and 11. Wow, that was hard. And it was Christmas week as well. Oh, my God. And it was a traffic accident. Pardon me? It was a traffic accident, was it? He was killed on the road. It was a hit and run, Patricia. Oh, Eleanor, goodness me. And and coming up to Christmas. Coming up to Christmas, yeah. But, I mean, the person who, who did it actually handed himself in and all that. And that man has passed now as well. And he actually did come and visit me and apologise, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, you know, it's just when needs fight, you have to have a sense of hope, of hope, and um, you have it built in within you. But you reckon that comes from your mother? 
that part, reckon that that came yeah. from my mother because one of the things she used to say to me, I was always stubborn. <laughs> and she said to me, well, I'll tell you one thing, she said, your stubbornness stood to you, she said, in your um, predicament or whatever you want to call it, Patricia, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, but um, I mean, you, you just have to, because I had to sit down and realise at that stage, as I said, I was only 39, you have to get up now and get on with it. Uh, because otherwise, you know, you're going to end up a bitter old woman in the corner and you're not going to be any good to anybody. But And you and you were children. You were children that you had to you raise had children, as well. I yeah. mean, you, have, yeah. to, you yeah. have to you have to do what you need to do. And as I say, that reminded me so much of my mother. Like, And, and do, you, said, do you cook any meals? Any, would you have any recipes that you would use today that your mother would have done? They would be in my head, Patricia. Would they? Yeah. 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 Black, um, bread and butter pudding, though, and those sort of things. The old-fashioned way. I mean, if you told a child about a bread and butter pudding, no, they wouldn't know what you'd be talking about. <laughs> and actually, someone said there's nothing like a good bread and butter pudding. There isn't. Listen, I've really enjoyed our chat, Eleanor. Thank you for that. Okay. Um, and have a, have a lovely day. God bless. God bless. I mean, Bye-bye. That is uh, Eleanor from... Uh, Carrigaline uh, reminiscing about food and food can bring you right uh, back for sure. Okay, some of your calls coming into the programme. We mentioned oh, about cuts to the welfare for the Ukrainians and how the government are going to sign off um, the 220 euro that Ukrainian refugees currently get. New uh, refugees arriving will be given uh, 38.80 a week. Somebody says, Trish, it's about time, the welfare to Ukrainian refugees was cut. They should never have been given such high welfare payments and benefits from the start. Guaranteed, we would not have the influx of arrivals if this had been implemented from day one. I've worked all my life and when I suddenly found myself out of work, I was sent on a job path scheme and hounded every day for updates on my job search. That is wrong. When asylum seekers come in, no questions asked and they get handed everything. It's no wonder the Irish people feel they've had enough with this uh, government. Thank you. Actually, I did see one of the things that's going to be uh, also included with the changes is uh, efforts are going to encourage Ukrainian people living here to find work. That's going to be stepped up and the Department of Social Protection will be interviewing Ukrainian welfare recipients with a view, with a view to try to match the them to jobs and that's you know not, not a bad a bad idea because we have full employment and there are people looking for employees. Hi Patricia, everybody seems to be con- so concerned about what will happen to Ukrainians after their 90 days including yourself Patricia. They need to go into the same queue as our own people. They're now talking about using office blocks and turning them into uh, accommodation for people supposed to be fleeing war. Why are some of them going back to this war-torn country for Christmas? Um, they Some, now you can't say all, but some are here to fleece our country. God love the poor people in Ukraine Ukraine and the elderly people in Ukraine who can't afford to travel here. I would have no problem with those people uh, coming, but not those that are travelling from safe parts of Ukraine. The Red Cross need to go out onto our streets to see our own homeless. I'm sick of the lot of them, says a texter. There's no name on that. We were talking about the stress that has been put on 
primary school pupils and a report out showing that some children in fourth class are suffering from exam anxiety. Barbara Balancolic says, I think those exams where they go from primary into secondary school, you know, some schools have like an entrance exam, even though I think that word entrance exam, they stopped using that word, but some secondary schools have exams. She said, I remember when my two uh, were moving, they were grand about it. They just got up and, and did the exam. Uh, but she said, today you hear of some nearly getting private tuition for the entrance exams. Angeline Skibberine says, I agree. It's the lead up to the leaving cert. It frustrates me when you see it on the news every day. You'll see it again next year in the lead up to the exams. People who are studying then are put under extra pressure. If you meet somebody who's studying for the exams, the first question is, well, are you all prepared for the leaving cert? The extra stress is way too much on them. And Pat Infomoy said, Jennifer, who you had on talking about the exam with the primary school students and the stress they're under is dead right in what she's saying. The stress we are putting on our children has got to stop. From the time they kick a football, you've got parents out and out there wanting their, them to be winners. It's all about winning today. Whatever happens to just taking part or just being friends with somebody. I blame the parents here 200% for this. Everyone has to go to university while and then some will drop out a year later because that wasn't the course they wanted uh, to do. Apprenticeships are great. We need to encourage more young people to go into apprenticeships because we have trades people uh, looking for people to work. So let's get rid of the stress. But it's the parents who need to calm down. We need our children. We want our children to do better than us, but we need to be realistic in our expectations. That's a, a good comment uh, in from Pat and from Oi. Thank you for that, Pat. And we will be discussing on the programme today about a plea to not give a gift of bees for Christmas. Seemingly it is popular. I was unaware of it. Mike said it's very concerning to hear that people are thinking of gifting bees for Christmas. The impact that these foreign bees have on the native Irish bees can be dire. Why not give a family gift of membership to on Tashka for a year and let them get to know the great outdoors during 2024? A suggestion of a Christmas present from Mike. Thank you for that, Mike. 0818 C103 A carpenter is wanted for a project in Mitchellstown. Now you must have your own van and hand tools. Please call 086-048-5589. An LVC tester for light commercial vehicles is wanted. It's for a busy test centre on the Mallow Road in Cork. CVs to garage at dcronensmotors.com. Cooks and chefs are wanted for full and part-time positions at the Cafe Townhouse in Donorail. Email for the attention of Myra to townhousedonorail at gmail.com. And a shop manager is wanted for a tool hire company in Dunmanway. Some experience with construction equipment would be an advantage. Vincent is your contact at 086 You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. C103 are looking for an advertising executive to join our dynamic sales team. If you think you might have the USP to be our new AE, then let's close the deal today. So what's the CTA, you ask? Send us your CV today to hrmanager at c103.ie or see our website c103.ie and the forecast 
Your future looks bright with C103. C103 is an equal opportunity employer and part of News Corp. Nick Richards plays Cork's greatest hits for your workday on C103. I've been out and about in Cork asking people what Christmas song should I play? All I want for Christmas. <laughs> that will be nicely. Does Amy like eating Brussels sprouts? No. Are they yucky? Yeah. How are you? I'm wonderful with this fabulous atmosphere. It's great. Deirdre, what's the name of that Christmas song you love? Driving Home for Christmas. Driving Home for Christmas. Christmas question, James. How many of the reindeers, Santa's reindeers, can you name? Dasher, Prancer, Rudolph, Blitzen, Donner, Dancer. Driving Home for Christmas. I just enjoy being around family for Christmas. What Christmas song can I play you? Jingle Bells by Michael Bublé. Hello, Nicholas. Jingle Bells, Jingle Bells. Jingle all the way. Nick Richards on C103. With Newmarket Motors for the Volkswagen ID Buzz. Fully electric, fully connected, and full of new ideas. Newmarketvolkswagen.ie. C103. Now, yesterday, uh, during the programme while we were on air, we received the very sad news of the passing of well known Cork actor, comedian, television personality and TV and theatre producer Frank Toomey to reminisce about the great man I'm joined by his great friend and long time collaborator Packy O'Callaghan in just a moment I'll also be joined by Catherine Mahan Buckley of uh, CADA but Packy joins me first uh, Good morning to you Packy Good morning Patricia good morning. And can I start by just saying I'm so sorry for your loss because I, I, I yeah. know I know what, what, what a great friend he was and I believe sure. you, were, you were with him um, almost to the very end yeah, I was with him on the just the night before, a few hours before he passed away. I was with him, and uh, like it was really such a sad sight to see somebody who was like so vibrant and you know uh, such a character reduced to you know like what he was. Just before he died, he was he suffered really a, a lot over the previous two or three weeks. You know, his lungs had um, virtually given up, and um, it, it really it was a ease when he when he passed. Patricia, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, and, yeah, he was yeah. surrounded by his family, which was lovely. And uh, I just popped in for just a brief, you know, I didn't have a chat with him because he was unfortunately unable to have a chat at that point. But, yeah, I said my goodbyes to him, you know. Yeah, yeah and nobody wants to see somebody that vibrant, struggling uh, sure. that much, uh, that much. So, yeah, yeah and, and eased, yeah. and certainly an eased to him. Uh, may he rest in peace. Such a lovely man. When, Indeed. okay, take me back. When did you first meet Frank uh, I, I think we did it. I think we did a tops of the tongue together in the eighties, but I don't really recall that much about it. And and then our first real involvement together was um, Alan Short had a, a radio program called Short Circuit, uh, which was uh, produced by Al McCarthy in the Cork Studios. It was that kind of RTE Saturday morning comedy slot, you know. Yeah. And uh, it went out for half an hour every Saturday morning, and that was in nineteen ninety six, I think. And within a few months that kind of morphed into the TV series um, Bull Island. So, you know, we were working very intensively together because we were writing that as well, you know. Um, and uh, so after that, then, I think um, we took maybe a, a year between that and the first of the of the Santa Panza shows. There were four of those. So, yeah, like all together, I think. And then after that, we went into um, doing... Um, this is like a catalogue, isn't it? We were yeah. doing um, Joe Duffy's Funny Friday. Yeah. So all in all, I'm working with him like more or less continuously with it. I think only one one year break for uh, about 27 years, you know, so we had a long, long standing and did kind of you, collaboration. Did you, know? you hit it off with him straight away? Say, say again? Did you hit it off with him straight away? Did that did almost a friendship well, form? Yeah. Um, well, you know, like, uh, <laughs> Frank, it was just... Uh, 
I, I mean, I, I had enormous admiration for him because I'd seen him in a few straight plays before that. A lot of people would probably would be unaware, but like you know, Frank played with you know Ray McNally, and you know he, he was with Lee, he played in the Cuckoo's Nest with Liam Neeson and John Cavanagh, and you know he did a movie with Colomini. So Frank had a very you know tremendous versatility too. He wasn't just a brilliant comedian, you know. But in any event, like I, I think I, 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 I was. I really admired his capacity to write. That was what has always stayed with me, really. Like, I, I've, it, just in terms of the Santa Panza shows, where we probably worked most intensively together, we used to write these at my kitchen table. And, you know, I, I, my job was kind of going to put structure on it and to try to write the, the draft of the script, you know. But I, and it might take me three or four days to write, you know, two or three scenes. And then Frank would come in and, uh, like, he'd send it from the kind of mundane and ordinary to the sublime with maybe four or five just judicious contributions. He was really, like, I, I think it's not an exaggeration to say that he was a comic genius. Yeah, I, I mean, I remember over the years, uh, the two of you coming in here to the studio, particularly mm. for, the, for the Santa Panzas, and I remember one of the, I think it was probably one of the first, I think you were going up to uh-huh. the Glen Theatre in Bantir uh, oh, to yeah, do it, yeah. and you both had scripts with you and you, and you did a piece from it. Mm. But but he threw in something that wasn't in the script, and oh, yeah. you gave him a dig, <laughs> and then and there was after he said, <laughs> but that wasn't in the script, and he goes... There were lots of digs. Yeah, but <laughs> he said, but you wasn't it a funny line? And I just yeah, thought... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, and you yeah. couldn't, and and you couldn't help but smile, no, and you couldn't. I yeah. mean, there's no way you could have been uh, cross with him. And then even looking, no. at, looking at the papers today, I mean, there's a gorgeous yeah. young photograph uh, yeah. of yeah. Frank on the front of the Examiner with his best friend yeah. uh, Bosco, and of course, so yeah. many people. The minute you mentioned Frank to me yesterday, people yeah. straight away started yeah. talking about uh, Bosco. And I know sure. o- over the years I spoke to him about it, and it, at times it irritated him, but he will yeah. be forever as so. Yeah, I think it probably did him a bit of a disservice. You know, it, it established him, and then it probably went on the repeat. Especially, I know that they kind of annoyed him because you know it, it did, uh, you know, you know, create that awful kind of typecasting scenario for him. And um, like, I mean, I think Frank would have done really, really well, in, like uh, as a kind of a straight actor. Uh, maybe a straight comic, or sorry, a comic actor as well. Um, had he remained in Dublin, but I think, you know, he's really he had tremendous affection for this place, and he was kind of quintessential Cork, you know. And I don't think he could stay away from the place. And um, I think that you know that Bosco thing, that especially the repeats when they went on in the uh, in the den for years afterwards, probably did him a disservice you know, in terms yeah, of because, his capacity to get other roles. Be- you know, because wherever he was, people mm-hmm. would say. Oh you're, yeah, you're Bosco's friend. Yeah, I mean, believe it or not, Patricia, when we when he was in hospital in the early part of of his um, stay in hospital, maybe three or four weeks ago, there were I heard people whispering, "I'm sure that's, that's your man used to be Bosco Lampo." You know? <laughs> I mean, these were these were grown men, you know. And, uh, I know. Yeah, so it, it dogged him for his, for his most of his life. Yeah. Well, yeah, uh, I think he'd 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 he'd, he'd kind of. Um, reached a kind of a peaceful accommodation he did, at the he end, did, you know? he did. Yeah, yeah. stay there because I want to bring in Cahan, uh, Catherine Mahan Buckley of sure. uh, CAD and of course a director of the Everyman mm-hmm. Pantomime uh, and who directed Frank so many times uh, good, yeah. mor- good morning to Catherine good morning Patricia you, how are you I'm very well thank you. you you believed he could have been an international star absolutely if he wanted it um, in actual fact I always said it that he could have taken over from Gay Byrne and he had that ability, like what Paki just said there about, uh, you know, that he was a fine straight actor. He had a great comic 
Like, you know, when he entered the room, he always had you laughing, irrespective <laughs> of what it is. And even in yeah. rehearsals, I always remembered, when sometimes, you know, you can imagine, stress can become heightened to the maximum, and um, he'd throw in a funny line, and it would all be kind of just relaxed again, and he'd have yeah. everybody laughing. And that, that in itself is a gift from heaven, I'd always say. You know, mm. to be able to... Um, to do that with a crowd of people, particularly um, artists who can be very, as you can imagine, very um, I suppose high, highly stressed at, yeah. at some given times, you know. Um, but I'm laughing there at um, when you talked talk when Packy was saying about um, uh, lines and he throwing a line. Yeah, he would have been a, a, a other actor's nightmare sometimes because he <laughs> he like you're you're he, particularly in panto. Uh, I I used to always say to him that we we ended up ha- having maybe. Uh, thirty odd different types of pantos because he would throw in <laughs> things and really shock the other actors face, you know, and like they'd all be kind of screaming, and then he goes, "Church was this funny? We we made him laugh. It's great. Don't panic." I loved his idea because everything was don't panic, you know. Yeah, um, yeah, and and, and pa- Packy, he like he was one of life's great mimics. I mean, his yeah, version sure. of Mary O'Rourke uh, is yeah. just incredible. I remember seeing them together in Athlone, you know, the two of them, Mary Rourke and himself, she came to see one of the Funny Friday things and um, it was hard to distinguish, like, who was who she, he was dressed far better than her. <laughs> Frank used to dress up, Frank used to dress for radio, believe it or not, you know. What? Exactly. He had a, he was a, in many senses, Catherine would, would share, would, would acknowledge, he could be chaotic at times, you know, but like, once it came about the stage, he was absolutely perfectionist. And, you know, when Catherine adverted there to the fact that he could throw in, even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The line, and he, he never sought the limelight. Though he didn't, never he never did it to kind of draw attention to himself. I, I found him to be an extraordinarily generous actor as well, you know, and especially to kind of young, kind of up up and coming people. He would never, you know, pull rank or or that kind of thing. He was just 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 a really generous, kind, decent decent guy, you know. Yeah, Catherine, he he like he. It strikes me he was never the diva. No. no. And I would I would agree with Packy there. Um, in, in actual fact, he was a, he was so humble, uh, mm. and I I love that about performers. You know, he always kind of wanted to, to perfect what he was doing. He was never some t- somebody saying I'm the greatest. You know, mm. he would um, really work hard, uh, and he would he would really be upset if he thought he upset somebody as yeah. well. Um, and mm. I think that like you know um, I I always say the best performers are the most humble and certainly yep. Frank was one of those one of those yeah did you know, and Parky, did he know how funny he really was no i don't yeah. think frank had any concept of how talented he was in so many ways you know mm. because especially like i i said this earlier i think he, especially as a writer you know i mean like i i i at times it was difficult to get him to sit down for 3 hours 
But when he did, my goodness, he'd produce some sublime stuff. And mm-hmm. he'd walk out as if, you know, it was just, you know, some, you know another another day, another dollar. You know, he was, no, he, he never sought kind of adulation or celebrity. He just, for him, it was just the job in hand at any given time. And he'd walk away and what's the next thing, you know? Well, it was a, but, but it was think, a job I, mean, I, think it's, I think it's not an exaggeration to say Frank was a comic genius, you know? And, yeah. and also, like, he, he had an, an amazing ability as a visual comic, you know? I, I can remember um, there was a scene from, in, in one of the earlier Santa Panzas, I can't remember which one, but he was sh- shifting cones around the stage, you know, kind of mimicking um, a council worker. And, like, <laughs> it, this is not for three minutes, and he didn't offer a word, and the people were just on the floor, you know? Yeah, that, but, but his he facial, his facial yeah. actions were... were of course, he was gifted with a great comic face as well, you know. Yeah, yeah. And actually, the, the Santa Panza, I'm right in saying our sister station in 96, that started out as a kind of a radio yeah. sketch, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, I remember, like, the, the kind of genesis of it was, but I was doing a one-man show on the Everyman, I think, and I met Frank and Tony. He was saying, look, is there anything happening and all that? So I said, look, would you be interested in just maybe just doing a, one or two scenes in this thing, you know? And um, I probably didn't feel that brilliant about it, but when, when when the show went on, Frank's had stolen it, you know, on me. But that was the kind of genesis of the Santa Pop. We wrote this couple of sketches um, uh, as two kind of power-walking women, um, and then we developed that into kind of a, an hour, it's on 100 minutes, I think, series of sketches, and then six of them cut it into 30 pieces, and it went out every morning for a month. Yeah. And... That that was where it started, and I remember meeting Patrick Talbot in on McCartan Street. And he said, "The people are kind of talking about this. Thing. Is there any uh, potential for this to be a stage show?" And I said, well, you know, I'm, "I'm not sure." We you know we didn't touch the script; we just gave him the script, and we had the great good fortune that Michael Toomey, um, you know, God rest his soul, yeah. great great, somebody admired so much. He came on board to direct it. I thought he wouldn't even look, look at, at the thing, you know, <laughs> and um, he took it so seriously, and he worked us to death, and. Um, you know, we had, we had, I think, about eight really good years from it. Yeah, and of course, he, he he pitched it on Dragon's Den. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And you know, that that's another... I remember on Dragon's Den, before we went on, maybe a few days before we went on, I said to Frank, look, we'll we, we, we go on together after the show and we'll, we'll, just, we'll just deliver the best pitch we can. He said, no, look, you do that. He said, I, I'm hopeless on numbers. <laughs> I, I, I'll just do whatever. I do the performance <laughs> thing with you and then you go on. Like, oh. it's, 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 you know, I, that's a measure of the kind of guy he was. He just wasn't interested in anything other than the thing succeeding and he thought like, by him not going on, it might have better chance, you know. And it's it like, was, it was, it, was, was. A, it was a huge, huge uh, success because I know whenever uh, yeah. you used to, when, whenever you were, you were playing anywhere around Cork and, you, and you'd come into the studio, the amount of people that used to be contacting us all excited that it was, they, they went back to see yeah. it again, again and again. Somebody wants yeah. to know, was Frank ever nervous about going on stage, Packy? I, I think not, Catherine. Catherine would probably know more about this now, but certainly not in the Santa Panza thing. That Frank would be so laid back He'd be virtually horizontal, and then when the lights would go up and the curtains would part, he'd just come alive. Catherine, you know? did you ever see nerves before a performance? I did. You did. I, I would. Yeah, I would. Mm. It, it, mm. But it would be very private. Um, mm. And I suppose really what I, what I remember about him, he'd always have like a can of Red Bull because yeah, of Panto, we energizing him. Yeah. And I remember <laughs> saying to him, "Oh, that's very really bad for your heart. Don't be, don't be drinking that. I'll get <laughs> get you something else." And he yeah. would kind of go, uh, uh, hello, uh, do you want a performance? 
let me alone. And I'd say, okay, no problem. <laughs> but it would be just the one can. And then, yeah. yeah. And, and then see him. And like, like I, I, always, I remember at one stage, I was kind of into this, you know, kind of doing notes privately to people. So like if I was directing so that they wouldn't be there listening to me rattling on. And I remember he was in one of the shows that I was giving this, this is a methodology I was using, uh, which I dropped after him very successfully. When uh-huh. And I remember handing him a note saying something about whatever he was doing. And he went, do you know what I'm going to do with them? I'm going to make a collage. <laughs> and when you're, when, when you're old and grey, I'm going to present it to you. <laughs> so I, I never used that methodology again after. <laughs> yeah. Well, he had a wonderful rapport with children, Catherine. And oh, I think that's, yes. that's where Panto really uh, came out in him. Yes. And what he had was, he was very quick, like what Patty was saying, on one-liners. And if a child answered him in the audience, he could pick it out, he could hear it, and he would play on it. And, of course, he would get them going with him. Um, I suppose, in a way, uh, I don't know whether Patty would agree with me, he was, in his own little way, another Peter Pan. That, mm. you know, there was a part of uh, Frank that was kept that child alive in him. And yeah. um, which yeah. is, which is phenomenal. Because mm. I always say that, you know, that we all adults keep the child alive within us. Mm. But you and made, you, actually, Haki, you made that point yesterday. Frank never, yeah. he never grew up. That's right. I think that's true. You know, I mean, like, um, I'm not just, like, um, it, I know it's a cliche to say that, you know, he he grew old but never grew up. But I, I think in Frank's case, it, it, it's true, you know. He, he had an extraordinary capacity to connect with, with young children. And um, I remember, you know, he, he kind of conceived the, um, the, the, the photo island, uh, if that's a photo resort, whatever it's called, um, Christmas experience, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. And um, I remember, like, him telling me that he was, he was, for the first time in his life, he was employed as a consultant. And he said, what exactly is a consultant? <laughs> but anyway, like, you know, I, I, I remember my own son brought his kids just to him and he just, he said, like, the, like the level of Frank's kind of Santa Claus as compared to anything that had previously was just off the scale, you know. He did genuinely have a real kind of ability to connect in a kind of a deep, deep way with, with, with children, you know. And it's, stay with them. It was never a case of just kind of um cursory thing, you know. He would like um get, you know, down and, you know, and you know, connect with children in a in a beautiful, beautiful way, you know. Yeah, but I think that goes back to that part of the, the, the Peter Pan in him. He, he mm. that's how he's so connected um with uh, children. And Catherine, the fact yeah. that we're right in the middle of the of the panto season, it kind of makes it a little bit sadder that Frank is gone, isn't it? Oh absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. It, it kind of left in you know, funnily enough, uh, Patricia, I was thinking about him uh, there uh, just only last week and I sent him a text you know oh. I at that stage didn't know and I got one back from a niece saying that he was very ill and do you know what I, I just couldn't tell some of the cast because some of the cast would have worked with him and known him and, and it was it was very very hard to say look let's let's keep him in, in, in our memories and in our minds and you know but I, I just felt really he came into my into my thoughts himself and he'll always be remembered always be remembered for the wonderful Wataki said the great comic and for me he was the international star yeah mm-hmm. yeah and Paki for Absolutely. you for you what, what, what will you miss most 
about well, time. you know, I, I, I mean, I, I miss his, his inventiveness, you know, his, his ability, his, his writing ability. I mean, we collaborated for so long. Um, I miss, but I, I suppose I miss most of all, I miss his friendship, you know. He was just yeah. such, I mean, I, I, I think I said to my wife, you know, that I, I never left Frank, but I didn't even with a kind of a bounce in my step, you know. He brought so much fun and joy into so many lives. And I would second that, Patricia. I'd second that so yeah. seriously. But Packy has summed it up. Wow. You know, you you always left Frank laughing and feeling good, really. You know, I can, and I hope that he, I hope that he knew that he was loved as well. I know he's a wonderful family, but that mm-hmm. that I suppose we the the performing arts or whatever uh, that he was so well respected and so mm-hmm. well loved. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Yeah. He wasn't. Well. Yeah. And I can see so many people saying he was so much part of my uh, childhood. Uh, just, yeah. Here's one from Bernice says, Patricia, very sad to hear the news of Frank Toomey's passing. I watched him on Bosco all my life in the 80s and I had a few pair, uh, pairs of Bosco pyjamas. Frank's office was next to my dad's uh, one near the airport in the 80s and I often rang, ran in to him. May he rest in uh, peace. Listen, I appreciate you both taking time out, uh, uh, Pat. Because uh, I, I, I know Thanks how difficult it is uh, for uh, for both of you, so so thank you uh, for that. And as we fondly remember uh, the late Frank Toomey, thank you, uh, Packy and Catherine. God bless, God thank bless. You. And actually, we have a, a clip. I'm going to need to take an ad break, though. We have a, a little clip of an interview that I did with uh, Frank. Don't know how many years ago it was, but it's an interview of him talking actually about his time uh, in Bosco. So let's take an ad break, and we'll come back listening to the words of the late Frank. To me. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Okay, and I can see a number of texts coming in, uh, people saying how saddened they were to hear of uh, the death of Frank Toomey uh, yesterday. And so many people saying it was because of the Bosco uh, days they remember growing up or they watched their kids uh, watching Bosco. And I think there was 400 episodes of Bosco made. But what happened then was they kept repeating those episodes. So it went on. I mean, it was it, it was initially made in the 80s, but then it went on into the 90s. And I I don't know if it even went up into the noughties, but there was future generations of children then grew up with the Bosco and Bosco's friends, of which, of course, one of them was uh, Frank Toomey. Somebody says uh, this is from the Glen Theatre uh, Drama Group, says, Patricia, it is with deep sadness that we, the members of the Glen Theatre Drama Group, heard of the passing of Frank Toomey yesterday. Frank performed on stage with us for a number of years. What a gentleman, a pure pleasure to be associated uh, with. We will miss him dearly. May he rest in uh, peace. Yeah, and how often I had him in studio when he would be heading off to the Glen Theatre to perform, particularly the Santa Ponza uh, shows. Now, back in 2018, he was in uh, studio. Don't know if it was for Santa Ponza or what show it was for, but he was in studio for a chat and uh, I asked him at the time for his memories of working with Bosco. And this is what he had to say. My memories of Bosco are extremely happy because, um, first of all, it was, it was, it was for me, it was, a, it was my, I was in, in television, I moved in 1980, and this was 1983, and now I'd been given a contract. Probably for in your early 20s. Yeah, yeah. Mm, late 20s, late desperately 20s. late 20s. Okay. And I'm there, I get a job in RTE, and to be honest with you, Patricia, I thought, in the door, RTE, children's programmes, yeah. afternoon programmes, uh, evening programmes, the late late. That's the, that would be the, the, yeah. the, the thinking. Tra- trajectory. 
None of it. <laughs> because Bosco was so huge. I know. We were rooted to the spot. Jonathan but Ryan was there as well. He was, the he was there that? in the early days. Yeah. But I was lucky. I was very lucky because I, 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 I immediately hit it off with Paula Lambert on a personal level. Oh, at the Bosco. Yeah. yeah. And uh, she helped me because I didn't know what I was going for. Yeah. I, I was told by, by, and I'm not name dropping them, but I was told by Mark Cagney from yeah. TV3, who's yeah. always a friend of mine, this audition design, you should go for that. Sure, we have kids, you should go. I went, but I didn't know what I was going for. I didn't know it was a puppet. <laughs> and she told me what to do. By yeah. the time we got to do it, I had a, a kind of a relaxation thing. Yeah. I got the job. Um, I actually ended up moving in with the Lamberts. Go away. Believe it, yeah? Go away. I moved in and because I had, uh, Paul had all the programmes because she was Bosco. I yeah. only had one third of the programmes. Yeah. So I actually minded the kids and lived in the house while Paula went to work. It's not be- incredible. became but, a but, part but, of the family. But it's, it's mind-boggling and when you look back now, I mean, it, Bosco was huge. Because it was... Of its time, yeah, it was the only program that was going out with an Irish accent. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Because there was Sesame Street and there was all those sophisticated yeah. programs, but the kids like responded to what. And this is where the professionalism and the thought came in. Paula Lambert, who who was doing that, pitched that voice at that level, which adults found excruciating. <laughs> but kids Didn't. talk like that. Yeah, 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 so in the yeah. middle of all the din, yeah. Like, the matter about it be gone on, the kids would hear the, oh, hello, everybody, hello. and they were gone. Yeah. And actually, people used to come up and say to us, it's the only 20 minutes apiece we have. Yeah, in day. the house, yeah. Well, there he goes, the late, great uh, Frank uh, Toomey. We won't see his likes again, uh, for sure. May he rest in peace. And once again, my thanks to Catherine Mahan Buckley of CADA, director of the Everyman Pantomime, who actually I only mentioned uh, yesterday on the programme. This is before we heard about the death of of Frank uh, because I got that lovely email in from Margaret, one of our winners who went to the pantomime last Saturday and she had emailed in to say what a wonderful show it was and I was talking about the fact that Catherine, I think next year is going to be her for, her 40th pantomime with the uh, Everyman so it was uh, lovely to have her. Didn't think I'd be having her on the programme uh, to talk about the late great Frank Toomey and also obviously Packy O'Callaghan, his great great friend you could really hear how upset pa- Packy was so I do appreciate him taking time out to talk to us uh, today. OK, let's really make somebody's day now. The C103's Christmas covered. It is at the time of the day when we need you to text our WhatsApp into 086 to 103 103. Ten minutes, we will allow the text and WhatsApp to take your entries. Then one listener will get a call back. Join me on air. Answer a simple Christmas trivia question and by doing that, you will be the qualifier for today. Go forward, you'll be one of four people to qualify and then on Martina's show this afternoon, one lucky listener gets the call. That's after 6pm and that one lucky listener will be told that they've won a €500 Euro shopping spree with a Super Value gift card. C103's Christmas covered. Now is your time to get texting. Just your name and address, please, to 0862 103 103. And remember, the Super Value gift cards, they're perfect for every occasion. They're available in store. You can get them online as an e-gift card. Simply search Super Value gift C103's Christmas Covered. With Super Value gift cards. Perfect for every occasion. Available in store or online for e gift cards that can be sent with a personal message. Search Super Value gift card. 
Well, if it was Christmas every day, it would be a little bit expensive. And if you need some money to help you to cover the costs of Christmas, and that's what we're trying to do with the C103 Christmas coverage, you can stop texting us because we have selected our entry for today. And it is Balangiri. We're going to to Ailish Lehan. Good morning to Ailish. Good morning, Patricia. Oh, well, how are you today? I'm much better now talking to you. Thank you're, you. You're sounding very chirpy in Ballangiri. <laughs> how how organised are you for Christmas? Not very, no. Are you not? Getting, starting to get there, starting to get okay, there. Okay, but the big, the big food shop, it's too early to do that, isn't oh, it? Oh, no, nothing done there, no. Yeah, so €500 Euro would put a big dent in that big food shop. Absolutely fabulous to be. Okay, let me give you a question, please. In the original Home Alone movie, how old was Kevin McAllister? Was he A, 8 or B, 14? Was he 8 or 14? He was 8. He was, of course. Well done to you. Congratulations. I love that movie, actually. Are you a Home Alone fan? I love it as well. Yes. My children used to play it all the time. They love it. Yeah. And even as, as grown-ups, so they still watch it. It's right. Yeah, it's one of those movies you can just watch again and again for sure. Okay, well, congratulations. You're our qualifier today. See, Make sure okay. you keep your phone on because Martina rings one of the four finalists back after six. Oh, back after six this yeah. evening. Okay. Thank you so much so, all together. Well, We're looking forward to that call, please. Well, guys. fingers crossed for you, <laughs> Ailish. And thanks a million for entering. Thank you. Bye now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. God bless. Ailish Lahan in Ballangiri. Today's uh, qualifier. Qualifier number two. Nick goes for a third. Martina goes for a fourth. And then all four names go into the hat. It was Geraldine Sheehan from Ballancolic was our winner uh, yesterday. That's Christmas. C103's Christmas uh, covered with Super Value gift cards. They're perfect for every occasion. Now they're available in store or you can get them online for e-gift cards that can be sent out with a personal message. You simply search Super Value gift uh, cards. But in total here on C103, we're giving away €5,000 worth of these gift cards with our Christmas uh, cover. So stay listening and stay entering. Okay, some of your calls are coming in. We are going to be talking about the dangers of buying bees for people for Christmas and this is something I wasn't aware of until uh, I came across it uh, yesterday so we'll be talking about that in a couple of minutes but a number of people since I mentioned I was going to do it have been on saying well done for highlighting it including a group who are known as the Fastnet Area Beekeepers Association well done Patricia for highlighting the danger of gifting a bee colony for Christmas a better option would be to subscribe to a local beekeepers association and sign up for a beginner's course it's important important to know how to look after them with the guidance of a mentor. The native Irish black bee is best suited to our climate. Foreign imports also have the potential to bring in new diseases and that is the big worry and we know already we have a worry about the, the native Irish honeybee and, and we certainly in the summertime are talking about them a lot with uh, Peter Dowdell on the programme and how we need to protect them and we need to look after our bees because we can't survive without uh, bees. Uh, so as I say, we will be doing that in a couple of minutes. Now we were talking about 
schools and the pressure that children in primary school are finding themselves under with the exams and it's these drumcondries the, they're called the Drumcondra tests. I think they're done. Is it? Is it? It's fourth class. Is it in second class as well? And it, it really is only a guide for the teachers to see how children are getting on. But some children are getting so stressed about them that it's leading to exam anxiety in children in fourth class. Who are what, what are fourth class kids? About ten, and it's just it's way too young for children to be worried about uh, exams. Uh, and we were making the point that uh, a lot of the pressure according to the report, is coming from parents. And, you know, the thrust of the conversation today has been sort of messages to parents to say, ease up a little bit and, you know, don't be putting so much pressure on your children. But listen to this. A listener says, just have to tell you what happened in my granddaughter's school last week. They were getting a test. So they were preparing for, obviously, Christmas exams and all of that. And the teacher told them, if you do well in this particular test, you'll get a homework pass. So you can imagine the excitement in the classroom, everybody wanting to do well. Well, listener says, my granddaughter got 199 out of 200. Now that to me is somebody doing well in a test. But, here's the but, only the ones that got 200 out of 200 got the homework pass. Now how mean is that? Not a lot of Christmas spirit going on and surely that's putting huge pressure. I'm shocked at a teacher. <laughs> I'm shocked at a, at a teacher that would have the cut off that you have to get everything right in order to get the homework uh, pass. Yeah, that uh, really is quite, quite shocking. 0818103103 and a lot of people really enjoyed my chat with Eleanor, one of our listeners from Carrigaline, when I was talking about nostalgic food and she was remembering food from her childhood and that uh, prompted her to contact the programme uh, this morning and uh, she uh, she was lovely she had a lovely lovely chat about times past and oh my god a family where her poor mum had 15 children 13 of which uh, survived into adulthood but just the stress and the pressure of cooking for 13 massive massive uh, numbers somebody said Eleanor is absolutely inspirational she should write a book she'd be able to fill it with wonderful stories of her childhood memories she, she would indeed and somebody else says that woman is a rock of sense and knowledge. Fair play to her. We'll get on to her and get her to write uh, a book. And then on Ukraine and what we've been talking about this morning, the fact that the, the government have decided that they're going to cut back on the benefits and the payments given to the new arrivals of Ukrainians. Uh, somebody uh, says, for God's sake, where's the compassion for the people who come into this country who have lost uh, everything? This listener is absolutely exasperated. I can't exactly use the terminology that this listener wants me uh, to use because it would be offensive to some. But this listener says, for heaven's sake, hello, what about the Irish famine? Where where did our Irish go? Those that were lucky enough uh, to survive it, uh, where did they go? They went in search of refuge. Um, where is our compassion? 0818103103. Our lines are open. Oh, and I don't want to let the programme pass without sending congratulations to our fine Irish actors who are doing really, really well. Three Irish actors yesterday nominated for the best actor at this year's Golden Globe uh, Award. As the nominations were announced yesterday, it emerged Killian Murphy is up for Oppenheimer. And I'm assuming he's the bookie's favourite to win, but you never know. You never know. Anyway, he's he's up he's up for that, along with Andrew Scott for All of Us Strangers. And Barry Keoghan has been nominated for Saltburn. And I have to say, I became a huge fan of Barry Keoghan after his performance in The Banshees of Inishiran. I think that scene of Barry 
with uh, Colin Farrell's sister. You know, when he he asks her out and he sort of says, would you be interested in, you know, having a relationship with me? And it was his little face in it. Uh, and you knew he didn't have a hope and she left him down so gently. I thought that was the most stunning piece of film I've seen in a long, long time. And from that scene, I became a huge, huge fan of uh, Barry Keoghan. So I'm delighted to see he's nominated as well. The big, big winners so far out of the Golden Globe, certainly from the nominees, are Oppenheimer, along with Barbie. They've received the most nominations for the 2014 Golden Globes. Uh, Greta Gerwig, she got the nod for Best Director for Barbie. And Oppenheimer's director, Christopher Nolan, also got the nod, along with Bradley Cooper. He's been recognised for uh, for Maestro and Martin Scorsese, uh, which is meant to be a super movie, The Killers of the Flower uh, Moon. But there are six actors up for that award of Best Actor. And now three of them are Irish, which is we're doing really, really well on the international scene. We are producing such fantastic actors and actresses and long may it last. And just from the TV point of view, if like me, you're a fan of The Crown, I think it's Thursday, is it? The last of The Crown drops on Netflix. They, they it seems, are the big contenders for the TV uh, category. They've gotten the rough for a number of awards, including the best drama series. That's along alongside uh, 1923, The Last of Us and a succession and the 81st Golden Globe Awards uh, take place on the 7th of January and it's always a good indicator for who might appear at the Oscars this year. 0818-103-103 Lines open. The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council reminding you to support local when choosing gifts this Christmas. Now, the Cork Academy of Music, the Drama Ensemble, have a trip down memory lane. It's on tonight at 8 o'clock in the Seaward Theatre of the Cork Academy of Music. That's the North Mon campus. This Christmas, Adam Cara is asking everyone to light up their virtual Christmas tree with a very special light of love. It's a memory of a loved one. By donating, you'll be helping Anam Cara work with bereaved parents all over the country. To get involved, check out their website, anamcara.ie. Now, until two o'clock today, the Irish Heart Foundation and the Marie Keating Foundation have their mobile unit at Corin Mart in Formoy. They're offering free health checks and advice. A monster Christmas raffle to raise funds for the Cork Kindness crew who support the homeless in Cork City is taking place on the Friday before Christmas, the 22nd of December, and it'll be held during the bingo in the Mallow GAA complex. Lines are currently on sale from Mallow GAA and will also be on sale at this week's bingo on Friday night. There is bingo tonight in Shambali Moor Community Centre, 8 o'clock start They've got a jackpot of €3,100. And a selection of photographs from Peninsula People will be exhibited in Kinsale Library from tomorrow, Wednesday. The official launch will take place at 3 o'clock tomorrow. The book then is on sale in local bookshops with all proceeds going towards the maintenance of the museum. And Kildallery Parish Pastoral Council are inviting you to their Concert of Music for Christmas. It is by the Glenstall School Choir. 
in St. Bartholomew's Church in Kildallery tomorrow night, Wednesday at 7pm. All proceeds raised through a basket collection will go towards the repair of the church bells in both St. Bartholomew's and St. Malaga's churches. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie By the way, just to acknowledge, we, we like a large number of texts in from people when we started talking and remembering the late great Frank Toomey who sadly passed away uh, yesterday. I wasn't able to get to uh, all of them but uh, thank you um, and you know lots of people just you know s- saddened to hear of Frank's uh, death but Mike in Bantry says Patricia I remember Mary on Make and Do on Bosco. Mary had a very calm voice uh, kind regards and uh, that's Mary Fitzgerald you're talking about and I just checked with John Paul and John Paul says Mary Fitzgerald was never on Bosco Mike. She had her own separate programme but I do remember her Make and Do programme and what she could make out of a little bit of crepe paper and a paper plate and a bit of glue and if you ever tried it at home I was never able to put together what Mary was able to make she really was uh, fantastic at her craft but she wasn't on Bosco uh, she had her own programme but thank you for your text a mic to 0862 103 103 Now what do puppies and bees have in common? Well the answer is they are both for life and not just for Christmas The Native Irish Honey Bee Society is warning people against ordering bees online and giving them as a gift. To tell us more, Jared Coyne, Vice Chair of the Native Honey Bee Society, uh, joins me this afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Jared. Hello. I have to say, on uh, I was unaware that you can literally buy bees online. Is that true? You can indeed. You can buy bees online, and you, you yes, uh, you can order your bees online, and they can come from anywhere. Uh, bees can come in a little package. And and uh, but now you can order them this time of year. They wouldn't be delivered this time of year, like cause yeah. It, it, it would be this a spring thing, you know. But that's why we 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 the similarity between the the puppy and the bees and the animal rescues have been have been telling us that for years that the puppy is for life. Well, it's the same with the bees because you see we are all trying to do our best for the bee and to save the bee, and someone wants to save the bee so. Uh, if there's someone out there that's in, in, interested in the environment, then someone say, "Oh, we'll get those. We'll, we'll, we'll buy them uh, uh, a colony of bees." And uh, you know, to manage a colony of bees, no more than the puppy, in a few months that can change. That little colony of bees can change. It's a, it's a wild animal. You need someone out there that's trained, that knows how to handle it, and and, and knows how to how, how to manage it. So. It, and that does, it does, it's okay when it arrives, it's small, it's like the puppy, but but it can be serious and if you don't know how to manage it, then that can be a nuisance. You're in your big problem. And then the real concern from a group like your, your point of view is that the non-native subspecies will crossbreed with the Irish that's honey. Right. That's yes. the big issue, isn't it? See, on the island of Ireland, we have our own native, native honeybee that has evolved over thousands of years and and uh, it's it's adapted to our climate, our unpredictable climate that that can change and vary so much. And what happens is, when those bees arrive from from from, from other areas, they can crossbreed with our bees, and then we have a problem and a serious problem. And that's and our native bee 
which 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 is 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 the top B and the most suitable B for our climate. Now this B is at the moment is being hybridised by by the, by the imports, and 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 that is that is a serious problem because our B has has so many different characteristics built up over the years. The colour of the bee is dark. It, it attracts any heat that's out there. It's, it's got that little bit of cover. If you look closely at it, it's, it's got a little hairy cover on it. It's, it, it's so adapted to our, our conditions. It's, it's frugal with, with the stores. The, the, the imported ones, they'll build up massive numbers of bees because they have adapted to other, other, other regions where there's more forage and, and a longer forage season. So they do that here, and the next thing, they get our spells of, of bad weather, they starve. And the worst of all is they, when they crossbreed, they get vicious. Oh, well. Yes, and that, that has happened. And that, be, that then becomes an even an even bigger problem. And, and, problem. and I was reading uh, yesterday, I mean, our, the, the, the current, the Irish bee, it's taken six... Thousand five hundred years to evolve, so they're yes. they're we, they're well used to our, our, our Irish climate. But if you can, you legally import bees. Is is there yes. not some? Yes, you, you can, can legally you can legally import bees uh, throughout Europe. That's what we are trying to. That's what we're trying to discuss with with, uh, with our department and all that at the moment. Uh, you can legally import bees, provided they, they they are accompanied by a health certificate from the country of origin. And it's 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 legal. It's like, it's legal, but it's not right. I know, I know, and that's where obviously we need legislation to restrict the importation of bees. Yes, we we definitely need to 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 to, to restrict the, the and 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 create an awareness to people because people need to know. I mean, I have I have I I rear uh, some queens, and they, they, I'm I. All my queens go to people who have gone down the wrong road and now they're trying to correct to, to get back to the to the locally adapted bee and the native bee. And it's like years ago, we would be doing, someone would be improving their stocks of bees to, to maybe to produce more honey or whatever. But now they're just all, I, someone rings me up, I want two queens, I have two hives in my garden and I can't go into the garden, my neighbours are getting stung. Everybody's afraid. I can't open the hive. They they follow me into the house. So that, that that's that's one of the uh, that's one of the major problems with imported bees. And the other one, like we don't know what. I mean, they are accompanied by a health certificate, and they do come in. But still, disease will creep in. Yeah, but it's a little bit like an invasive species of a plant. We do, we don't know what they what they're going to bring in uh, uh, with them. And Jared, if somebody wants to take up beekeeping uh, as a hobby, because I, I imagine it's a wonderful uh, hobby, but I assume you need to get some training or do some kind of a course. Yeah. We we normally I I I've been running beekeeping courses now for years, uh, you know, in my local association, and we do that's done all over the country. So. Uh, that's the advice. If if I were to buy somebody a present of for Christmas, anything to do with bees, it would be a you know a, a course. Get the get them enrolled in a in a beekeeping course because and so many will, so many people will do the course. They'll they'll get to learn about the bees. They'll come out with us then to the apiaries in spring when the weather gets fine. 
and some will decide to go ahead and others will will say, oh, this is not for me, you know, and some will come back the second year and then maybe they'll do that year and they go on to become good, you know. But it's, an in, yeah, it's, a, it's a well-informed choice. It and, is. Yeah, and, and, yeah. And, that's, and, that's, and that's so important, like, I mean, to, to, to do that, like, but the foundation in the beekeeping is to have the proper bee. The bee yeah. that has, I mean, when you look at the weather now at the moment that, that we're having this year and then, and, and the short seasons we have, I mean, we get, we can get bad weather in the middle of summer. Yeah. There's no, there's no, our, our weather is so, it's so unpredictable. But our bee has, 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 has evolved to that, like, mm. and, and is able to cope with it. It's, it's, it's unbelievable what, what the native bee can do. And at the moment, it's so easily to get those imports that our bees, that the hybridisation is on the increase. Yeah, we have to stop it. We have to stop it. And we have there's, to stop. And there, there's beekeeping associations all over uh, the city and county here in Cork. And actually, when I mentioned earlier that you were going to be joining us, the, the Fastnet Area Beekeepers Association actually thanked us for highlighting the dangers of, of gifting bees uh, at Christmas and was making the very same point as you, oh, that oh, a better option yeah. is to subscribe to a local beekeepers association and sign up yeah. for a beginner's course. The beginner's course is so important, uh, and 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 then when you do the beginner's course, you you'll you'll go out. You have a mentor then to to deal with your problems by your first year. You, you'll be you, you'll be you know, you know because it can be very daunting on a beginner to open a hive of bees <laughs> on their own. Yeah, because most people are afraid. Yeah, most people are afraid of bees. Yeah. And, but it, but Jared, is it is it a wonderful hobby? It is a wonderful hobby. Is it? And and it's so it's it's so discouraging to see what is happening our our, our native bee like our native bee we like we are the envy of Europe the, the, looking at our bee and the type of bee that we have because a lot of a lot of of, of areas in Europe you know when uh, farming practices changed and 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 they a lot of a lot of areas thought they could change bees with it but it, it, that's not working yeah. You know, it's the bee that has, has that, that has evolved there and adapted to. to well, we need to, we need to protect those honeybees, and, and and I know in the summer we hear we do a, a weekly gardening slot here in the program, and we're always hearing from uh, listeners who, in particularly in the last couple of years, who are letting sections of their gardens uh, grow wild. I mean, that's going to help, isn't it, the native bee? That is, that is a great help, and I see a lot now. I I do often do little talks like that for local tidy towns and things like that, you know, and. Uh, it's it's amazing how many have left that little area of the garden, and not to cut the grass, let the dandelions and all the wildflowers grow, and that not alone are you helping the, the honeybee, but you're helping all the other little pollinators that live there because all those pollinators they coexist, and and they they, they all need to be protected. And the other thing we must remember as beekeepers not to overstock any area with honeybees. Because we need, we, we we always need to have a balance there for those. I mean, there is ninety eight other species of bees out there that that collect nectar and do all the same things in in a different way and a yeah. different lifestyle to the honeybee. So we can't have the honeybee competing with it. I mean, we can't overstock. It's like overstocking a farm or with like any that. animal. Yeah, yeah, with any but, animal. Okay, so, but we've got to stop importing these bees for we've sure. Got Listen, to stop importing Listen. because we mean we we we, we our our native. Irish honeybee is under severe threat at the moment. 
Okay. Not being hybridised. And make contact with the local uh, bee association, our society, and they'll certainly point you in the right yes, direction. Yes, yes. Listen, and, and, and the beekeeper needs... Like, the beekeeper will find out themselves when they venture into the hobby or, or whatever that they do need help and they do need that bit of education. You know, I mean, it's, it's, that might be... It's okay... Some beekeepers, we, we, we learned it from, from other beekeepers at home that handed, handed all the knowledge down to us, you know. But anybody going in new needs needs the help of of their local beekeepers. Yeah. Local beekeepers and local bees. Okay. Listen, Gerard, we leave it there. Enjoyed our chat. Thank you for that. That's lovely. Thank and thanks you for, for joining me. us. God bless. That is uh, Gerard uh, Coyne who joins us uh, from Galway. He's vice chair of the Native Honey Bee Society. Please do not give bees as a present for Christmas. Now, yesterday we had a lovely call in from a listener in the Clonakilty uh, area who had attended the Tommy Fleming concert in the local church on Sunday night. And that prompted me to mention that Tommy Fleming will be taking time out to talk to us today. So I'm really grateful because I know how busy he is at the moment. So I'm delighted to say good afternoon to Tommy Fleming. Good afternoon, Tommy. Good afternoon, Patricia. How are you? I'm, I'm, I'm well. You, you had a blinder of a concert in Clonakilty last Sunday night, I'm told. It, was, it went brilliant. It was um, a packed house, thank God. Um, and it was, do you know, I, I didn't realise I didn't play Clonakilty for almost six years. Wow. So all of pandemic and everything had gone and come and gone. And yeah, it was a blinder. It was a lovely, it was a just, I've never heard, um, I, I, they're not a congregation to me, there'd be an audience, wouldn't they, even though it was in a church. I know. Um, but there were, uh, they, I never heard singing like it when I did, um, I was talking about how I, you know, learned all the Christmas songs as a child in primary school and all that. And I sang Angels We Have Heard on High and oh. the whole place sang it with me. And it was just lovely. It was just lovely. Yeah, because this is the this is the Christmas uh, concert tour that you you were doing. You're, you're nearly wrapping it up. I think you've just got two left in Galway. All, all of them were in churches. It was, is that deliberate? It's deliberate. We do it every year. There's something I think lovely about it, and I'm not going to I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I'm not overly I'm not an overly religious person. Um, as somebody would just describe me once as very spiritual. <laughs> yeah, we'll um, take that. I, yeah, absolutely, I take that myself. Um, but yeah, it's there's something really lovely. And as I said to Tino one evening, um, you know, we we go up against the same obstacles every year: weather. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's it, it was great. Look, at, we've had a great. I just got back from Australia two and a half weeks ago, just under three weeks ago. So it was great to kind of jump back into work. It kind of killed the jet lag for me. And it was just, it was, it's been a great run. Yeah, I, I always say to people when, you know, the way you'll hear from people saying, oh, I can't feel the Christmas spirit this year. I'm always saying to them, try and find a concert like what, you, what, what, what you're doing or even a local carol service inside in the church. Because there's something about the acoustics of the church and the singing of Christmas carols that just, it will, it will give you that, that, that feeling, I think, that we had as children. It is, and it's 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 nothing to do with faith or no. any of that. It's to do with the spirit of the whole season and the spirit of Christmas. And the one thing I always say is to remember, it's not all about giving. It's not all about presents. It's not all about that. It's just to kind of take stock, I always say, and hit the reset button for the few weeks that you're off and appreciate what's around you. That's yeah. what I always yeah. think. How did Australia go? Good as always? 
It was great, Patricia. It was great. The tour was brilliant, but I have to be honest, it was a long, long tour. We did almost just over two months. Um, and because COVID stopped, I lost three tours there in COVID. So they were putting, there was rescheduled, kind of always going in. And dare I say it, this time when I was over there, even though I love it over there and it's like a home to me, I was very lonely. Um, I found it very, I, I missed home a lot. And I think that's to do with the fact, you know, COVID has taught us an awful lot, if you can say it, has ta taught us something. Uh, being home, it means a lot to me. And I suppose... You know, I don't. I'd only one member of my Irish crew, the band that I have here, um, over with me because I have the crew over there. Obviously, it's a huge cost in bringing that many people over. So we kind of we have this, all the years we're doing Australia. We have a crew over there that works with us, and it's not the same. I there was only one Irish person around me, and <clears throat> as I, I was describing it to JP there, I said everyone knew me, but I didn't know anybody. And, 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 and did, that, did that ever happen before, that sense of homesickness? That, ne that, that, that never happened before because wow. I had, I would only I would only do three weeks or less yeah. than four weeks was always the rule. Whereas I did, I was essentially living there for two and a half months nearly. Yeah, it's a long time. It's It, it really it's a is a long time. time. So straight yeah. back into the Christmas concerts and then there's a bit of a break uh, for Christmas and then you're back out on the road uh, again in the new year and you're coming back to us, you're coming back to the Cork Opera House. I'm coming back to the Cork Opera House on the 2nd and 3rd, if I think. Yeah, 2nd and 3rd of February right? with uh, tickets second still available. It's, it's Absolutely, tickets, yes. tickets are still available. And it's, you know, we're finishing, kind of, it's been a world tour really over the last while because I did, um, Australia did, the US did, uh, UK, uh, a good few shows in Europe and I'm, I'm kind of wrapping it up as such in uh, Ireland and we close it down on the 30th, or sorry, the 3rd of March in Dublin. And I'm afraid to admit it, but I'm off from March until October. And so you I'm need taking, that. Yeah, and you uh, need... I'm yeah. taking, taking a good bit of time off. Now, you've... you've um, this is a re-release, isn't it? Uh, the, the Christmas, the bells are ringing. It is. I was... Somebody sent it to me, um, a video of it that was done on a, in a concert years ago. And I was just listening to the words of it, and I never paid attention to it. And there's a verse in it that just struck me when I was away. It just struck me the amount of um, discontent and upheaval there is around us, not just in the world, but around us as well. And there's a verse that says, no, no, no doorways, no windows, no walls, no shelter here on the ground. And that just struck a chord with me. And that's now worldwide. You know, if it's, yeah. you know not just home, it's uh, Gaza, it's Ukraine, it's everywhere. And... It's just, you know, I think that's sometimes we have to remind ourselves of the suffering of other people that's, that's going on as well. Yeah, it's beautiful. I'm, I'm going to play it in, in, in a minute because it, it really is. It's, it's beautiful. And it was only when I really sat yesterday and listened to the words. I thought, wow, I, I, I never, we need to appreciate the words of songs. But, but I realised you're right. It's, I think it's a very, very appropriate uh, for this year. But I know every Christmas Eve we do a kind of a special show where we put in lots of Christmas uh, music. And one song I can never get away a Christmas Eve programme without playing is your Christmas Eve, your Christmas 1915. Do you still perform that in concert? I still perform that and I perform it throughout the year because I never regard it as a Christmas song, if that makes sense. <laughs> um, I still do. Everyone asks me for it because it's the story in the song of, you know, it was World War One um, when Germany had one day of peace, truce with the Allies. And, the, and to think that the next day they returned to 
kill the each bloodshed other. and the, and killing each other. And it just it kind of those things always strike a chord. With me. Yeah, it's a great song. It's a great song. Uh, anyway, and just finally, because I'm watching the clock, because I do want to make sure I, I, I play your song. Um, as you reflect back on 2023, how how will you remember this year? Um. I reflect on it with joy this time. And many years I've reflected on a few years with great sadness because we'd, we'd, we had a lot of loss over the last few years. Um, but this time I'm, I reflect on it with, with appreciation. That's what I reflect on it with, in that I'm very happy with having my family around me. I'm very happy with where my life is, thank God, and where my career is. Um, and they're not always the most important things. The career is certainly not the most important in my life. Um, but that's I reflect on it with appreciation. Great stuff. And I'm with looking ahead with positivity. Well, we look forward to having you in studio in 2024. In the meantime, Tommy Fleming, a very happy Christmas to you. And thank you for taking time out to talk to us. Nice to talk to you and all to you and to the listeners for the support over the years, as always. And hopefully we'll see a lot of you in the Cork Opera House in, in February. Uh, that's where we wrap it up for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we will be back with you tomorrow morning at, at 10 o'clock. On to then, I'm Patricia Messenger. A very good afternoon and mind yourself. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Farm Talk with John O'Connor, now at the new Saturday time of 7am and Wednesdays at 10pm. Catastrophe is a thing that needs to be done at the moment or it will be automatically excluded from derogation for 24. So you have 20 measures required, five days apart. That needs to be done. This has to be done. It is a requirement of being in derogation. Farm Talk with Dairy Gold. Prime Elite Rumi Force Calf Feed on C103. Bailey's Bailey's Get the facts, be drink aware Visit drinkaware.ie A very happy Christmas from everyone at Merchants Key Shopping Centre Looking for that perfect gift? That something special? It has to be Merchants Key You'll be spoiled for choice And all under one roof Something for... Well, everyone really, and far too many to list. Merchant's Key. It just makes shopping so easy. This Christmas at Super Value, we have great offers to help you share the magic. Like Super Value Fresh Irish Round Roast, better than half price. And Oyster Bay Sauvignon Blanc, six pack, 50 euro. Exclusive to Real Rewards members only. Plus, get money off vouchers every week on the Real Rewards app too. Share the magic this Christmas with Super Value, in-store or online. Enjoy alcohol responsibly. T's and C's apply. No one wants their child to go up to be homeless on Christmas Day. My parents certainly didn't. But something happened to me when I was ten. My whole life eventually went off the rails. I was just a man sleeping rough. No hope, no future. I wanted to close my eyes and never wake up. But with the help from people who care, I felt wanted, cared for and loved. I started to heal. Supporting Cork Simon this Christmas is more than a gift. Please donate today at corksimon.ie. Topline Burton's and Euronics Electrical Store can Turk Christmas Winter Wonderland Department is now open. Stocking an array of beautiful Christmas trees, lights, decorations, wreaths, lanterns, garlands and tableware. Great prices and massive savings across all our range. Easy parking and hassle-free shopping this Christmas. It has to be Topline Burton's and Euronics Electrical Store can Turk. 
C103. Warming up your home this winter with new season curtains and bedding. View in store at Turner's Cross Retail Park or at harrycarry.com. Harry Curry, see what's in store. On FM, FM, FM. Online, online, and on your phone. This is C103 News. It's one of